From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guests today are John Booth Faris of Faris, Faris & Faris Professional Association in Oxford and William Rayford, personal injury attorney in Clarksdale. Today we'll talk about personal injury laws. What is considered to be a personal injury? How long do you have to file a personal injury suit? What are some Mississippi laws that govern personal injury cases? You can give us a call today at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 about any questions you have about personal injury law or send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent, here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guests today are John Booth Faris of Faris, Faris & Faris Professional Association in Oxford and William Rayford, personal injury attorney in Clarksdale. Today we'll talk about personal injury laws. What is considered to be a personal injury? How long do you have to file a personal injury suit? And what are some Mississippi laws that govern personal injury cases? If you've had any experiences with a personal injury case, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, attorneys and Professor Gershon. How are you guys today? Good morning. Good morning, Sharita. Sharita, I'm really excited to have uh, both Mr. Faris and Mr. Rayford on today. You know, I know you're a basketball fan and you're probably watching the NBA. <laughs> yes, I am. Championship. Well, getting ready to go into the championship. But everybody expects it's going to be Golden Gate, Golden State, excuse me. They <laughs> Golden used to be Gate. The Golden Gate. They used to be the Golden Gate. Golden State and, uh, and, and Cleveland. And, and, you know, I think... Uh, people are assuming that none of the other teams have a chance. And I think if you, mm-hmm. if you go into a personal injury suit without a lawyer like Mr. Freeze or Mr. Rayford, you don't, you don't have a chance. Oh. And so, uh, you know, it's the same <laughs> kind of deal. You know, these corporations are, uh, and insurance companies and, and, and other defendants tend to have the kind of resources that those two teams have. So, yeah. That's Just a, a basketball analogy for you. Yeah, it's a good connection. And the Celtics won Game Seven of that Eastern Conference uh, series, and so they go on to play the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I am not confident that they will win many games, but I hope they do. Big fan of Isaiah Thomas. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Attorney Faris and Attorney Rayford. Thank you for being on today. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, Professor Gershon, I wanted to talk really quickly about this news that broke yesterday about President Trump um, revealing some classified information to uh, his Russian visitors. Now, I've been reading that this is actually not illegal. I saw a story on USA Today that said uh, legal analysts and secrecy experts said that American presidents have broad authority to disclose classified information, making them virtually immune from prosecution. Uh, But your thoughts on this? Um, but many of them say it is still dangerous and could pose a threat to our allies who are worried that America may not be able to keep secrets. 
Well, Sreed, I mean, I think just because something's legally okay to do doesn't mean it's prudent to do. Um, you know, the president has broad discretion when it comes to uh, dealing with foreign policy. And, you know, to some extent, we want our president talking to foreign powers, even those that we're, that we're not friendly with, just to try to get better outcomes. But uh, I think what concerns people is that th this was all first uh, done in, in secret, but then denied. And, you know, but, but when it really comes right down to it, he does have the, the authority to, to make these decisions. Um, so I guess the, the word classified just scares everybody. I mean, do you have any idea for what reason um, or could it be beneficial in any way to reveal classified information uh, to uh, a visiting person from Russia or any other country? Well, again, you know, that's really that we want our policymakers to make those decisions. Uh, you know, classified just means that maybe he has access to it and, and other you know, uh, people in the government have access to it. You and I wouldn't have access to it. Uh, so, uh, you know, and how they use that information is really, really up to them. But what, but we want, you know, our leaders to use good discretion and good judgment. And, and I think that's the question here is, is whether that occurred. And one thing to note in this uh, article on USA Today, it did say every other government employee with a clearance could face criminal charges for disclosing classified information without prior permission. Uh, but the commander in chief is immune from those. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Exactly. Um, mm hmm. Well, that was my uh, my. You had this problem last week with the with your uh, computer going off. My iPad just went off, so forgive me for that. Oh, it's okay. Uh, yeah, these tech things. Everybody's worried about this this huge ransomware thing that happened, and we'll talk a little bit about that on Everyday Tech tomorrow. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be talking about personal injury laws. What is considered to be a personal injury? How long do you have to file a personal injury suit? And what are some Mississippi laws that govern personal injury cases? And we have a call to get to already, but we're going to uh, hold on just a moment, Don. We're going to uh, talk a little bit with our attorneys. Uh, could you uh, guys tell us how you got interested in this area of law? Um, it was just interesting and entertaining. This is Will Rayford. And uh, when you go to law school, you take a class called torts. You actually a two-semester class called torts. And a tort is a harm to another caused by the conduct of someone else. And there, it's a broad spectrum of things, anywhere from assault, battery, negligence, false imprisonment, conversion, strict liability, product liability, wrongful arrest, uh, defamation, uh, all kinds of things. And so the, all of these are interesting things. They're all different ways either you or your property can be harmed by someone else. And I just happened to find that that was a fascinating area of the law that I uh, sort of gravitated toward and felt was interesting and entertaining. And uh, and then when I got out in practice, I initially didn't do that. I, I did real estate for a couple of years and was kind of bored and wanted a little more action and had an opportunity to get in with a good firm that had a very active personal injury practice and worked with some guys that were very good at what they did. And uh, and so it's just something I've, I've done. Uh, in fact, I graduated May 1987, so almost 30 years now I've been doing this. Wow. Uh, Sharita, this is John Faris. Uh, I've got him by a few years, and uh, August this year will be 48 years. Of wow. Practicing. Congratulations uh, on that. Thank you. I grew up in a family of lawyers. My father started practicing in 1939 in Ashland, Mississippi, and I grew up in Ashland. 
And one of the things that intrigued me about personal injury cases is that people would come to us at the lowest point in their life. They've been injured. Often it affects their ability to work. They have huge medical bills. And I have a, I have a lot of gratification in helping somebody when they really, really need help. And we don't mind taking on the big corporations or um, individuals or government entities. Uh, um, the challenges are always out there. And uh, as a as a plaintiff's lawyer in personal injury, it's all about the details. Mm-hmm. And uh, you really have to work hard and make sure you understand all of the facts of every case. So I imagine it's probably harder to fight some of those big corporations who have lots more money and lots more power uh, when it comes to personal injury. Would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, Money uh, sometimes corrupts completely, and uh, a lot of these corporations feel like they can do anything until somebody challenges them. And sometimes government entities are the same way. Uh, They'll do what they can do as long as you let them do it. And uh, Mm. one of the things that uh, Dean Gerson and and Will and I were talking about earlier, if it weren't for the lawyers, you wouldn't have seat belts in your cars, airbags, a lot of the safety devices, a lot of the, the, the protections that the general public has. I mean, we're out in the front ranks of the war uh, against big corporations where the, the dollar is the uh, sole goal. The and lawyers are very instrumental in uncovering defective drugs that have been recalled, uh, products that have been recalled and uh, ad- additional safety measures. I'm sure lawyers had a big role in uncovering the cheat system that Audi had put into its uh, cars, uh, the ignition pr- switch problems that General Motors hid and lied about and denied for a long time. And uh, sort of interesting that General Motors filed bankruptcy, and generally when you file bankruptcy, it wipes out pre-existing liabilities but the courts found that uh, General Motors was well aware of those ignition problems prior to filing bankruptcy and failed to disclose them and as a result uh, uh, even though they emerged as a new company somebody, a judge has ruled that they're still on the hook so sort of in line with what you're saying but corporations uh, are not necessarily bad but there are a lot of bad people in the world and, and take shortcuts and uh, sometimes put profits ahead of safety. And, and lawyers very often are in a position to help try to uncover that. And, you know, lawyers have become very specialized and have to become very specialized. You know, people that take on the General Motors of the world uh, that's not going to be your average hometown lawyer. It's going to be somebody with, who has developed a significant war chest that has the money to fight back and has developed the expertise to handle those cases, and, and those are very tough cases. All right, we have Don on the line from Gulfport who's been waiting and wants to ask about a slip and fall. Good morning to you, Don. Hello. Hey, what do you have for us today? Kind of an unusual slip and fall. Um, I was actually walking into a hospital through the parking lot, uh, accompanying my husband who was going to have heart uh, outpatient surgery. And in the parking lot, there was a muddy spot that I didn't realize was as muddy as it was, and I slipped. 
and put my hand out to break my fall. Uh, I ended up somewhat muddy, and when I walked in, the receptionist and several nurses were very concerned that I had hurt myself, and I said, no, I haven't. And for the entire time that my husband was in surgery, people kept coming to me and saying, are you sure you're okay? Are you sure you don't need to have that looked at? And I kept saying, no, I do not. And um, finally, one of them said, we've talked to the ER people, and they think you need to have that looked at. And when I was told that my husband would be a little bit longer before he was in recovery, I said, okay, we'll let them x-ray the hand and make sure that there isn't anything wrong. And I was very surprised to get a bill for $850 several weeks later. From the ER? From the ER, yes, and Mm. and an ER doctor who read the the x-ray evidently. And um, I had told them continuously and repeatedly I did not need to be looked at, but they apparently have been trained in situations like this to cover the, you should pardon the expression, assets of the, uh, the hospital, and they were basically badgering me until I agreed to have the, uh, the hand x-rayed. And there was nothing wrong. I was correct. But the $850 um, was still charged to me. Wow, that's interesting. As you were telling the story, I was wondering, okay, were they going to check you for free? That is a hefty bill there. Okay, attorneys, uh, any thoughts on on this? Uh, it sounds like a, I don't know, would the hospital have been liable for her fall in the parking lot? Um, and, yeah, what could she do about this, this bill? Well, starting out, you're not a hospital or any other business is not automatically liable just because you fall on their property. You have to show that... The, that there was a dangerous condition on their property that the hospital was aware of and had an opportunity to clean up or that they created the dangerous situation themselves. And so we're talking about mud in the parking lot. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty common thing. Mud can get in parking lots. Uh, we don't know how long that mud had been there, whether a car had come and rain and muddy truck and some mud fell so it may be difficult to establish um, uh, a fault on the part of the hospital. I'm not saying it can't be established, but just with the limited facts we have, I think it's somewhat difficult. Another avenue that you can look at, though, is many businesses have med pay coverages that if you fall on their property, um, you usually will have it in your homeowner's coverage. Many businesses will have it. And it covers medical expenses up to a certain amount simply by virtue of the fact that you fell on their property. And if I were you, I would go and talk to the risk management people at the hospital and uh, discuss your situation. There's probably some sort of incident report that they did uh, that reflects the nature of the injury and uh, i would i would i think the odds are the hospital would probably work with you on that bill 
All right, Don, we appreciate your call. Sorry that it happened to you. Thanks for your call. Um, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation. We're talking about personal injury laws and specifics. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number is 877-MPB-RING. Have you surfer, suffered, not surfered, have you suffered any personal injuries and you want to know your rights? Give us a call, 877-672-7464. We'll talk about how long do you have to file a personal injury suit and what are some Mississippi laws that govern personal injury cases. 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by attorney John Booth Faris, attorney William Rayford, and Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we are talking about personal injury laws, what is considered to be a personal injury, and how long do you have to file a personal injury suit. You can give us a call if you have suffered a personal injury at any time, maybe on the job or in a particular situation, and you'd like to know your rights. Give us a call, 877-MPB-RING. We do have a few lines open. The number is 877 7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. All right, so uh, we were talking about all the things that fall under the personal injury umbrella. Uh, I'm just curious, what about things like emotions? Is would, would that count as a personal injury, or does it have to be something physical? No, it doesn't. Uh, personal injury includes uh, um, emotional distress. You have to have, and you need to have some professional. Uh, in the mental health field to uh, to verify that otherwise everybody would come in and say, well, I had a, an accident and I'm emotionally distraught. I will tell you from personal experience, if you have a major uh, uh, accident, you are going to have uh, some significant emotional aspects of it. I've never met a person who was in a serious accident that did not. And uh, seeking help from a... Uh, a professional uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, um, helps to overcome that. And uh, I think a perfect example of the difficulty of that is if you were in an accident and your spouse were killed and you had to deal with that trauma, you can see that that would be a significant injury. Unfortunately, our uh, legislature has seen fit to put caps on the, on the damages in Mississippi and, and created... Really, we're a second-class citizens in Mississippi compared to other states. All non-economic damages, that means everything other than lost wages and medical bills and things of that nature, you're limited to a million dollars recovery. Or less if it's a medical malpractice case. Yes, there, there are limitations that have been put out there, and the average person doesn't realize it until something happens to their family uh, and their child gets killed, and you, you have to be able to tell them, I'm sorry, uh, the loss of love and affection uh, that you had for your child or other family member is limited to a million dollars. And this cap has not changed uh, based upon the uh, economic um, increase uh, in value or, or decrease in the value of the dollar due to inflation. 
So it's, uh, it's, it was a sad day, and nobody, everybody thought it was going to keep their insurance premiums down. Uh, sorry, that didn't happen. Nobody's insurance got reduced. And everybody continues to get uh, insurance premium rate increases every year. So the argument that it'll save insurance premiums was nothing but a red herring. Hmm. And the insurance companies don't have to pay to defend suits like they used to either. So their their profits have gone up. Uh, and similarly, so they're, they're the ones who really benefited from the caps. So how do you even know that you have a personal injury case? I'm sure accidents happen all the time. Or are there some kind of standards that, that should let you know, okay, you actually have a case that you should pursue? Well, you first have to evaluate what the facts are. And as I said, there are you know, 30 or 40 different potential causes of action that we learn about in our torts classes. And what, which fact pattern would this fall into? And, of course, if you're dealing with a car wreck or something, it's usually pretty simple to figure out. And then the lawyers know what they're called elements, uh, what the elements of the tort are, what you have to prove certain factors in order to recover. And so the lawyer will start looking at that. They'll, you know, take the car wreck. We'll get the accident report. We'll interview witnesses. We'll get the medical records. And then if we need to, in certain cases, we're hiring accident reconstruction experts to go out and recreate the scene. Um, We're developing the medical proof that we might need. And so every case is different. Um, But lawyers, uh, you know, have learned these are the things that we need to do uh, to get ready for trial. Uh, Sharita, uh, again, there's another aspect of this that... uh, uh, I would not expect a, a layperson to realize the impact that it has. Mississippi has a minimum liability coverage of $25,000. If you get injured in a serious automobile accident and they bring in a helicopter from Memphis to take you to the regional medical center in Memphis, that bill will be $30,000. Therefore, uh, the, the individual, and uh, when you think that the medical bill um, I was in the med following a, a plane crash, and I was in the med for uh, 10 hours, and my bill was $30,000. So uh, uh, minimum limits of coverage uh, clearly affect um, the whether you can afford to proceed with litigation. And as Will said, sometimes it's, uh, you have to get experts, and experts aren't cheap. And uh, the economics of personal injury often uh, override um, the the person's individual goal of wanting to uh, make the person pay that injured them um, because if they've got minimum limits or no insurance coverage, um, that goal is not going to be met. And we as lawyers have to tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a good lawyer at the front end, when you talk to a client, I, t- I generally take no less than two hours uh, uh, when Will was talking about an accident coming in. I want to know as much about this situation as I possibly can. So we try to keep the clients uh, engaged and involved in what's going on. And remember this, that the insurance company attorneys are in no hurry to settle litigation. Once the litigation is filed, they know that uh, in uh, Mississippi, unlike, say, Memphis, they don't have a special criminal court so the circuit court has to try both civil and uh, criminal cases, and the civil cases get priority 
in the settings. So you might be you might file a lawsuit, and it may be a year or more before you can get a trial date. And they know this, so they just sit on the money. All right, we have several calls to get to. Um, Whitney is in Hattiesburg. Watney is in Hattiesburg with a personal injury question. Good morning to you. Hello, Watney, you're on the air. Yeah, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, yeah, um, I wanted to uh, ask a couple questions to the personal injury lawyers. I, I had a lot, of, I'm from Louisiana, I'm from New Orleans, but I've been here in Hattiesburg a while. But in the 90s, I had uh, a few cases. I had one large case. Uh, it was a personal injury case, and uh, I gained a lot of experience during the time of that, that, that case was going on. I had it with an attorney, and it was an auto, I was on the job injury case, um, and it, uh, it affected my back. Uh, my question is, when at the time when I, nego- well, actually I didn't negotiate it, I signed a contract with my attorney for representation, and then, uh, that went well, and once I was represented, and I went in, case went on for about three and a half years, four years. Um, but I did not know at the time I should have negotiated my fee uh, or the attorney's fee. Uh, I wound up signing the contract. I didn't read it very well, and I wound up paying 40% of my case once it was settled. Or, or even one. Well, once it was, it, it was eventually settled. My question is: Can you negotiate uh, with your attorney uh, before rep- signing a contract for representation for the thirty-three and a third percentage, or do you automatically have to accept that forty percent? Because I thought I found out later that I should not have accepted a forty percent fee unless that case had to go to trial and be uh, 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 prosecuted uh, in the courtroom. Because 33 and a third, and when a a case is settled, all the attorneys did was a lot of, they did a lot of work, but they didn't have to go in the courtroom and fight fight the case. But I wound up paying 40%, and my case never went to trial. Okay, Wadney. Yeah, was it negotiable uh, uh, to, to negotiate your fee? Well, okay. let me let me ask you a question. Was your case in Louisiana or was it in the Mississippi? No, it was in Louisiana. Okay. Well, we can't speak at all as to what fee arrangements are, are permissible or allowable in the state of Louisiana. Um, uh-huh. Were you making a workman's type, workman's cop type claim against your employer? Well, well, for a while it was working comp, but ultimately uh, my injuries uh, said that um, you know once that was all over, it wasn't it wasn't a working comp. It, it, we actually uh, uh, had to sell. My injuries was was to the extent where we have to uh, ultimately uh, uh, file suit against the company uh, that uh, I worked for. Okay, well, it, it, you know, again, we can't answer questions as it relate to. Louisiana law, but under Mississippi law, you're generally going to be barred from suing your employer. If you get hurt at work, you can make a claim against your employer, and it doesn't matter if it's your fault, a co-worker's fault, or your employer's fault. It, it's all going to be covered under workman's comp. So it's not really a lawsuit. It's making a claim, and under Mississippi law, those workman's comp 
fees are limited. Uh, I don't do workman's comp, but I think I'm correct in saying that under Mississippi law, they're limited to 25%. So, uh, and, and just in a general type of uh, situation, lawyers generally charge different fees based on the complexity of the case. Uh, if we're going to take on a highly complex case that we know we're going to be advancing significant money out of our pocket, taking on a General Motors or in a medical malpractice case, taking on a physician, and we know that it's going to cost us a whole lot of money and will cost not only our time but also our out-of-pocket expenses that that we're advancing if we lose the case you know, we tend to charge a higher fee for those cases. Um, so, yeah, it, it there is some negotiation, but in complex cases, most lawyers are going to probably charge pretty much the same thing. Uh, this is John Farese. I'd like to add one thing. Um, injury on the job may not always be just a worker's comp claim. I've had several claims where the uh, employee got injured on a piece of equipment that was manufactured by uh, another company, and since they were not their employer that we sued, we were able to recover. I remember one uh, specific lady uh, in Pontotoc County that lost part of her hand when a uh, uh, a knife system on cutting um, some material came down when it was not supposed to, and we had we sued a manufacturer in Italy, and we were able to recover for her for that. All right, Watney, thank you for that call. Uh, we'll stay on the phones. We are going next to Rick, who's in Madison, Mississippi. Good morning to you, Rick. What do you have for us today? Good morning. Um, I had a uh, uh, accident with an 18-wheeler common carrier, and uh, I did not sustain any personal injury. Uh, talked to an attorney, though, right after the injury, and he's the one who told me to go get myself checked out, make sure I was okay, and I did. Brought him all the pictures and the paperwork, and... Um, and had gotten an estimate that next day also. And I had about $6,000 of damage. The attorney also said, well, you probably have uh, damage to your asset, also your car. And uh, he looked at the case and said, you know, uh, Rick, the, the reality of it is you don't have an injury, he said, which is good. But uh, he said it's going to be difficult uh, for us to, to get any kind of uh, reimbursement um, that's uh, over and above your damages. And, and I said, well, I, I'm not looking for that. And he said, well... He uh, said, the probably, uh, you'd have to pay his, his hourly fees is what I talked to another attorney is what really the attorney was saying without saying it. And I didn't realize that, that uh, an injury attorney is a very specialized field uh, that, as opposed to just someone representing you and you pay their fee. So it would have eaten up most of the cost to prosecute. So I just thought that was interesting. There's this, I guess, dead zone. And so uh, my uh, my question is, I guess, is that small claims court probably would have been the way I should have gone. I agree. I agree. This is John Ferris. Um Remembering that in Mississippi, the uh, jurisdiction of a, a justice court is $3,500. Uh, anything over that, you end up in circuit court. These insurance companies and defendants recognize that the most difficult case for us as lawyers and for you as an individual who've been involved in a wreck is the economics of it make it very difficult to justify litigation. Uh, you can uh, negotiate sometimes, but they will... Uh, I always made this analogy. If an insurance company beats every claim or every claimant out of just $500, that's 
that doesn't sound like much, but if they have a thousand cases a year that they beat the people out of $500 worth of damages that they were entitled to, you can see that the impact uh, multiplied by the number of adjusters and the number of claims can be significant. So uh, we, we, we struggle with that a lot of times. And occasionally, uh, if they try to treat my clients unfavorably, uh, sometimes I just file a lawsuit on the general principle that they're trying to rip us off, knowing that we're really not going to make a lot of money and make sure that the client understands that. Another um, type of loss cases that's really difficult is if your home uh, is suffers water damage or fire damage and the insurance company says, well, we're only going to pay you this amount on those damages and it's uh, according to your builders and people that it's insufficient, I have to tell I have to tell clients, look, uh, we can't recover our attorney's fees for you. We're only going to recover the damages between what their estimates are and what your estimates are. Uh, and so you're right. There are some dead zones in there in the law. And believe me, the defense lawyers and insurance companies, they do their jobs. They know that they've got the upper hand in those situations. All right, Rick, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we have Larry and Janet to get to. And a couple lines open as we talk about personal injury laws on uh, in legal terms. We have a few attorneys with us, Attorney John Booth Faris, Attorney William Rayford, and Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And if you have any questions or comments, maybe you've suffered a personal injury at some point in a particular situation and you need some assistance, call us 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Attorney John Booth Faris, Attorney William Rayford, and Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're talking about personal injury laws. And you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments. Um, Before we get back to the calls, I just had a quick question. How long after an accident or injury do you need to go ahead and pursue a particular case? Is there a a statute of limitations for personal injury cases? Yes, there are, uh, Sherita, and it depends upon the type of litigation. Uh, If you're litigating on a, let's say that there's a barroom fight and somebody gets hurt, That's an intentional tort. You have only one year uh, to bring the litigation, unless you're a minor, and that may uh, extend technically in most cases. uh, Of course, I don't like to wait a lot of times, but uh, the statute of limitations does not begin to run against a person who is a minor until they reach 21. But again, there are maybe some circumstances that that would be would be there's a deviation in certain cases now suing a doctor in mississippi you have to sue within two years automobile accident three years uh sometimes uh, litigation may turn on a written document and under certain circumstances it could be as much as six years and you also have to throw in the caveat that we have 
doctors in the state of Mississippi that are state employees. And so other governmental employees where you've got a one-year statute of limitations suing under what's called the Mississippi Tort Claims Act. So, uh, yeah, it's all something we look at very carefully on the front end. Number one, where did it happen? How did it happen? How was it discovered? Mississippi has a discovery rule, meaning uh, say you had a medical device or you had a surgery and a doctor left a sponge in and three years later you discovered it. Well, more than two years is it has run from the time of the surgery, but you still got time to file that lawsuit based on the discovery rules. So you would have two years from the time you discovered you had the sponge left in you. So lawyers are very familiar with the different statutes and limitations that would apply. And John Booth is very much correct that we all have to look at them carefully. Um, we all know that basically anytime you're talking about an intentional tort, you you got to be careful of that one year. Uh, most general negligence cases are going to be three years, and then uh, there are going to be exceptions for many other things. All right, lots of calls to get to. We go first to Larry in Hazelhurst. Uh, good morning to you, Larry. Thanks so much for holding. What do you have for us today? Uh, I'm 80 years old on Medicare. My supplement is a Methodist Preacher's Group insurance through our board of physicians. And what if I had an accident, had a big ambulance or air ambulance bill like the, doctor, the lawyer mentioned a while ago? Uh, will Medicare cover that? Generally speaking, Medicare is considered the payor of last resort. So, but in these sort of situations, if they think that somebody else is going to be responsible, but it may take a year or two years for you to go through the court system and, and to recover, Medicare goes ahead and pays that. They call that a conditional payment when they make that. It's conditioned, but it's also the law that the lawyer and the injured party that if they are successful in the lawsuit and make a recovery then they have to notify medicare and to make sure that medicare is paid back uh, fortunately medicare if you had a hundred thousand dollar medicare bill of uh, hospital bill medicare is probably going to pay thirty thousand dollars and then Medicare works with the attorneys. They will reduce that by a pro rata share of the attorney's fees and expenses that are incurred in prosecuting the lawsuit. Uh, Medicare is fair about that. They recognize you're the one that went out and hired the lawyer and pursued the lawsuit. And if you hadn't done that, Medicare would not have gotten any of that money back. So they bear some of the expense in recovering that. That, all that being said, Medicare is a problem for lawyers uh, on a constant basis just because it's so hard for us to get prompt, quick answers from Medicare. And, uh, you know, from the day somebody comes in, if you came and signed up with me today and told me your Medicare, I mean, Medicare paid your expenses, before you left my office, I'm going to have you sign forms that I'm notifying Medicare, and we try to get that process started early on. And it, it can take a long time to get answers out of Medicare. I think they've gotten better in the last couple of years, but they're not as good as I'd like to see them. Okay. Thank you for that call, Larry. We appreciate it. We're going to go next to Janet in South Haven, who's been waiting for a while. Thank you for waiting so patiently, Janet. What do you have for us today? 
Hello? That happened in DC. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay. This is an incident that incident that happened outside of Mississippi. I was in DC. But I I, I just want to ask I uh tripped and fell at a parking lot not on the hospital's grounds. And um the parking lot people said that they wanted me to go to the hospital by ER. I mean by ambulance. So I did. Kept my boss informed of everything that was going on. Had a CAT scan, which was normally noticed a contusion over my right eye, but everything else was normal. Doctor wrote me a sick note that I could return to work on Monday. That same Friday, I got a call from the company that placed me there, telling me that I'm no longer to come into the hospital because they don't think I'm physically fit to work there. Now, no doctor, only doctor I was involved with was a doctor in the emergency room. So I just wonder, you know, what my, you know, I, I, it's not Mississippi, but what options I might have in D.C. Because just not one person, she gave me a list of issues, you know. If somebody said I have an unsteady gait, somebody said I fell in the building, in the hospital once before. And a list of other things and ended it with, we're worried about you. So, what are my options? Well, again, we, we can't answer any questions about D.C. law. Um, in terms of your medical question, it sounds like somebody is saying maybe you have something else going on that you need to get checked out by a doctor you know, and, you know, I don't know what that would be, but maybe to see a neurologist or to see somebody that could, you know, check your gait and your function and uh, perhaps do an MRI or CT scan if they felt something was going on. Um, but it sounds like somebody is concerned that you may have a medical condition. Uh, we as lawyers are not in a position to say whether you should or shouldn't have that treatment they say you know if i'm concerned that i need you to go see a, a doctor a neurologist or whoever not just say well you know i'm safe to walk into the building the falling on the, the fall uh didn't i did not fall in that hospital okay well, to go see a neurologist you're going to have to have a referral from a primary care physician so you need Talk to your family doctor about what's going on. And uh, I'd like to say one thing, Janet. Uh, lawyers often are uh, faced with situations like this, and that is that it is a medical issue, not as much as it is a legal issue. Uh, if, if your employer is saying you're not physically capable of doing your job, you're going to have to find some physician, some qualified physician, to rebut what they're saying, and that is to say, no, she is perfectly capable, and he'll have to know what your uh, requirements, physical requirements are at work. But uh, this is not a situation that we're in a position to help you. You need to probably talk to, uh, is your job in D.C.? It was, but it was, yeah. they fired me or let me go. Yes, I understand. I, I'd, sometimes people are just not treated fairly, and it sounds like I'm not happy with what they did to you, but at the same time, we're not in a position to give you good legal advice. I think Will had the best answer, and that is 
let your family physician send you to a specialist and see what he says. See if you're able to go back to work. But you may not want to go back to D.C. and go to work anyway. All right, Janet, thank you for your call. We really appreciate it. Um, We'll stay on the phones. We are going next to John in Tupelo, who has a car wreck question. Good morning to you, John. What do you have for us today? Uh, Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. My son, about a month ago, was involved in a rollover accident. Um, Other than the the, the truck being totaled, uh, one of the occupants had a fractured collarbone, but otherwise everybody was okay, and that honestly was the most important thing. Uh, what had happened, he was, it was at night, and it was raining, and he was on a public parking lot going to a venue, and he was riding up a hill or driving up a hill, so he couldn't see where he was going. So then the, the, the road in the parking lot kind of curved to the right, which he couldn't see. He jumped the curb, and then his, car, his truck rolled over. So that's the gist of it. Um, but when they were, and, and my wife said, God, this is terrible, you know. Maybe we should think about suing the, the people on the parking lot or the building i said no we're not going to do that then when we went to pick his truck up to get a few of the uh, the, the contents out the people where the truck was was stored said yeah this is about the fourth accident that's occurred at that place in the last year and a half that we've had vehicles and it and it and i'm still not interested in really in, in suing the owner but i wish there'd be some way to Say, look, you got to have an engineer come out and look at this put additional lights up put a railing put I, no i don't know but Four, four accidents in a year and a half at the same location seems um, dangerous. Somebody's going to get killed or get paralyzed or have a, a limb, lose a limb or something if it continues. What, uh, what, what's John, a- John there, this is John Faris. There was a case involving uh, uh, a curve uh, in a road outside the edge of Jackson, and there had been numerous accidents there. And a suit was brought um, for the wrongful death of an individual that uh, missed the curve. Um, the Mississippi Supreme Court is uh, uh, has been very hesitant to state that even if there are problems with the design of highways or, in this case, a parking lot, that, uh, that they would probably say that your son was uh, driving too fast or out driving uh, faster than his headlights would allow him to see ahead. Uh, in an automobile, you just—it's hard to say this, but sometimes you just can't. If you can't see, you have to slow down. And the fact that there are four similar accidents there does indicate that it's probably a dangerous situation. But you—you you don't have enough injuries and damages. Uh, the young man that got his uh, collarbone fractured uh, probably will be covered under your son's uh, medical insurance. And quite frankly, if uh, uh, he had come to me, I would probably uh, make a claim against your insurance company uh, and claim that uh, that his injury and in the rollover was based on some negligence um, in your son in operating the vehicle. Um, you would need to go out and look at this place. I would. It, it's hard for me to judge what you're talking about with uh, a, a, just a verbal description of the scene. And, again, by the time you paid an expert uh, to testify, it would uh, make it economically unfeasible to pursue. All right, John, we appreciate you calling. Thank you so much. We'll stay on the phones, try to squeeze in these last two before the show ends. Michael is in Bahalia, uh, Mississippi. Good morning to you, Michael. He has a colonoscopy question. What do you have for us today, Michael? Yes, ma'am. I had a colonoscopy about three months ago, and ever since I've had the colonoscopy, 
my lower back is giving me extreme problems. I've been to the doctor a couple times, and they haven't really said anything too much about it, but I had never had this pain until I had the colonoscopy. So I was wondering, you know, if there was something I needed to pursue in that area. Well, John, hi, this is Will. Uh, what we said before, we're lawyers, we're not doctors, and we can't make a diagnosis of what's going on with your back. Uh, when people come to me with problems like this and say, do I have a lawsuit, um, particularly when we're talking about medical malpractice, uh, I've got to know what the end result is. Why are you having this problem? And if nobody can say what the cause of this back problem is, then it's hard it's hard to impossible for me to make an argument that the doctor did something during the colonoscopy that caused this uh so you're you're if the doctor you're seeing the gastroenterologist or whoever is saying i don't know what caused this then maybe your next step is to see a a neurologist or a, somebody that does some nerve conduction studies or something to try to make a diagnosis of of why that is happening um, but until you know the, the end result, what the cause of the injury is, then it's really impossible to know whether you get hmm. I don't know what happened. Okay. All right, Michael, thanks for your call. <laughs> A little technical difficulty there. Uh, we appreciate your call, Michael. Thank you very much. If you needed to follow up, you could send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Okay, uh, Linda, we have... About one minute left, so uh, go ahead with your question. Yes, I want to know the statute of limitation for uh, um, personal injuries. Uh, this is John Ferrice. Linda, can you tell me uh, how, how you sustained your injury? Uh, I was at a hospital. Uh, it would depend on whether that hospital is a state uh, entity. A lot of hospitals are not now owned by counties or uh, governmental entities, uh, so it could be uh, as short as one year, but uh, you still need to know a lot about it. Or a private hospital is two years. Okay. Linda, thank you for your call. We thank appreciate you. it. That's going to wrap us up here on In Legal Terms. Great show today, attorneys uh, Faris and Rayford and Professor Richard Gershon. Thank you all for joining us today. Great show. If you did not get to call, you can always send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, Jay White was our board operator and producer, and we had a wonderful intern answering the phones for us. So this is new for him, but he did a great job today as well. Uh, once again, folks, if you did not get to call, you can always send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Also, you can use any of your podcast apps to subscribe to the In Legal Terms podcast. If you go to mpbonline.org on that right column, there's a way for you to subscribe to the show as well. Coming up next, Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress right here on MPB Think Radio.